Well, the Lord's good, isn't he? We've been having some really interesting services this last weeks or so, and the Lord's been really powerful in his messages towards us, to us, for us. And the last service, last week's service was really special. I mean, it was really good. And, and I'm really hoping and praying for all those that were part of last week's service that, um, that you are living this side of the line, that you really are living committed and not going back. And uh, so I just pray that that's the case for you today. Today, I want to continue to speak uh, a little bit more than what we've been speaking on recently about our priorities and our thoughts. And today, I want to continue to talk about how we take our thoughts captive. We've been thinking about that. We've been talking about that for a number of weeks. And today, I want to talk about how we do this. And the number one way we do this is by inviting God into our thoughts. You know, one of the most important and powerful areas of warfare is in the mind. And for us to learn how to win the battle of the mind is critical if we're going to have a victorious life in this earth and if we're ever even going to have an eternally victorious life as well. We need to understand what's happening in the mind is very important. Maybe we don't like to think about our spiritual life as a battle, but in actuality it is. We are in a fight for our life every day. We are in a battle for our spiritual life. And do you know why the battle in the mind is so important? Do you know why it is? It's because we can't get away from it. <laughs> if, you, if there's a person that's giving you a hard time or if a person in your life that you don't like, you can run away from that person. And you can get out of that person's presence and that person physically has no effect on you. But you cannot outrun your mind. You cannot get away from that, that thought process, what's happening sitting up there on top of that shoulders that's supposed to be this center of great intelligence. <laughs> you can't outrun it. It's there. That's why the battle in the mind is so important is because the enemy is relentless in his attacks. He's relentless, pounding you, your mind with ideas and thoughts and doubts and fears. He doesn't quit because he knows you can't get away from it. He, you're a captive audience to yourself, and he recognizes that. So I want to talk this morning about how do we win this battle? How do we win the battle that's going on up there? How do we take these thoughts captive? Now, we often assume that the ones who, in this life, that are really successful are the ones that seem to find life easy and and are, and are outwardly succeeding in everything they do, They're not, they don't seem to be facing difficulties like you and I face. They just seem to be um, on top of the world. But the reality is we have no idea what's going on in their mind. We have no idea what's really, what they're really the battles that they're really facing internally, the internal struggles. We are the only ones that truly understand the battle that's happening inside. I may look good on the outside, and I may look like I got it all together. But man, I may be struggling inside, and you, and you may be as well. And this morning, I want us to understand that we do not have to measure ourselves the way the world measures us. You don't have to measure yourself the way people measure themselves, and you don't have to compare yourself against somebody down the street or the person you're sitting next to today. Because God doesn't measure us that way. 
God measures us with a totally different strategy. He measures us with a different, a, a different measuring structure. He doesn't compare us. He doesn't compare me to you and say, well, Mike, you're doing okay compared to John, or, or John's doing o, o, o better than Dave. Or He doesn't measure us that way. He measures us through one standard, and that is how are we measuring up against Jesus? We are to be, stru- we are to be structuring our life to be more Christ-like, not to be more pastor-like or not to be more Sunday school teacher-like, or the worship leader-like. No, it, it, it's not about how you measure up to people. It's how do we measure up to Christ. And so our responsibility is, it's like, do you remember the old TV show Mission Impossible? Yeah. Remember the, the theme song? Somebody hum, what is it? That is, yeah. Do-do-do-do. <laughs> Uh, Jackie, you keep singing that, okay? While I, while I describe to you, here's the mission that we've been given, okay? Now, recognize that after they played that theme song and you were all pumped up for Mission Impossible, then the, the, the man behind the microphone came on. He said, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is this. Your mission is to invite Christ into your life, including every thought you think and act upon and make him Lord and center point of your life. Of course, if you or anyone on your Mission Impossible team fails, the enemy will ridicule you and make you feel like a total failure. But God will forgive and give you a new beginning if it's your heart's desire. This message will never be destroyed or pass away. You know, the old Mission Impossible said, this, this message will be destroyed in five seconds, and all of a sudden you see the old real cassette tape, all of a sudden start smoking. <laughs> Well, praise God that God's message to us never fades away and never goes away. And we can accept this impossible mission to fight the battle of the mind. And, and when you fail, yeah, believe me, the enemy is going to be there to ridicule you and to make you feel like you are a total failure. That's what he will do. I will tell you right now. So when you walk out of this place, and maybe you experienced that a little bit this week, you know, after having a service that was so powerful as last week that we never got to the word, that it was all about praise and worship and, and finding Jesus and making commitments, I gotta, I'm sure the devil hit some of you really hard this week. I'm sure that some of you were really struggling this week because it was his mission to take away everything that you gained last week. So I expected it. I knew you, some of you were going to get hit really hard. I knew I was going to get hit hard, but because I knew it, I was ready for it. And I was hoping you were too. And maybe if you weren't, I'm hoping that today we can learn from how we deal with some of these issues that we can be more prepared for it in the future. Many times, too many times, though, we fail in, in, into, we fall into the area of, or the error of measuring our earthly values and our effectiveness by the frailty and the inconsistency of our feelings. Do you, ever, do you, know, what, do you know what that means? It means that if we feel healthy then, and successful, then we must be healthy and successful. On the other hand, if we feel unhealthy and unsuccessful, we must therefore be unhealthy and unsuccessful. And I've got to ask myself the question, I'm asking you this morning, where have we gotten so far off track and so self-centered that it's all about me and all about you and it's all about how we feel that is the measuring stick of God? Do you think really God really measures you by the way you feel? 
No, he does not measure you by the way you feel. That's the enemy's territory. And I want to teach us this morning how we can get beyond our feelings, how we can get beyond our thoughts, and that we can see that how God measures us and how God gives us the tools that we can combat and win the battle. So I want to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This was the same text that we used last week. And I want to use it this week as well as we begin this battleground fight. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 3. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name, and I ask you to open our hearts and open our minds to understand what it means to be obedient, to take our thoughts and to make our thoughts obedient to Christ, that we would recognize that the battle plan that you have for us is to be a winner and not to be defeated. And I pray that we would pick up the spiritual weapons that you've given us, that we can win this war. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The war we wage is one that is not fought nor won with the weapons that we naturally have at our disposal. These are not natural weapons. Scripture is clear that the weapons used to fight the spiritual battle of our minds need to have a divine source, not a natural, worldly, earthly source. If we're, if we're thinking that we're going to win a spiritual battle using worldly weapons, you're going to end up very frustrated in your life and very defeated in your life. Worldly weapons are only good to use on the things that we can see, touch, feel, taste, and, and, and sense. Yet the battles that rage in our mind, we can't feel those, can we? We can't sense those. I mean, we can know they're there, but I can't, I can't smell them. I can't touch them. I, they're, 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 they're imaginations. Our mind works in the area of imagining things. And we're the only one that we know what we're thinking. We're the only one we know what we're imagining. We, we were down in Hillsdale over the Friday and Saturday, just a short a day. We went down Friday night and came back yesterday, last night. And we were taking our daughter and our, grand, our granddaughters to a McDonald's for breakfast. Joelle's in the back of her car. And uh, I can't see it, but I can't see her. But we talked to her, and she's not listening, not answering. And she goes, I was daydreaming. Oh, I, she goes, I daydream a lot. <laughs> and so she was telling us about how her daydreaming, you know, and that's pretty cool for a seven-year-old girl to recognize that she's daydreaming. That's the power of our thoughts, that we can get captivated by them, and hopefully we can control those daydreams. I, I, I'm praying for her parents. She has good parents, and they're teaching them godly principles, and I'm sure that she will have good daydreams. But I can say, though, that the enemy will do whatever he can to try to steal the good things that God has for us by giving us day nightmares and that he will really battle in our hearts and our minds if we're not careful guarding that. 
And here's the reality of it all, I think, is that as we imagine things in our minds, that, that I can say with, with, I think, pretty good reason here, that, that most of the battles that we face in our minds never really are as bad as what we imagine them to be. Bless you, Jackie. Oh, bless you, Katie. I saw you wiping the back of your neck, so I thought that might have been. No. I'm only kidding, sorry. But I, I, I will come back to this point numerous times, but the, but the imaginations, the, the battles that we rage in our mind typically don't end up being as bad as what we imagine them. Do you know what I'm talking about? That we can have, we can have imaginations that are very vivid and very detailed, and, and we can imagine arguments and fears and rejections and failures, and we can imagine breakups and, and a host of all other kinds of things. But when it really comes time for those imaginations to come to bear, most of the time they're not nearly as bad as what we thought they were going to be. We can get so wrapped up in those personal imaginations. And here's the problem. In our mind, there is nobody there to tell us otherwise. That's the way the world would think. But I want to tell you, though, when we invite God into our thoughts and our imaginations, we're no longer alone. And that's the thing that we need to know. We must recognize that because the key to winning the battle of the mind is inviting God in. When I invite God into my mind, I am no longer alone with my imaginations. I'm no longer alone. When I invite God into my mind and God into my heart and God into my thoughts, this is the key to winning the battle. And that's what I want us to recognize this morning, that if you're really interested in winning the battle, that's what we need to do. Now, why is this, why is this so important? Why is the fact that we must invite God so important in? Well, there's a few reasons. Number one, God is a gentle spirit in that he doesn't dwell where he isn't welcomed, right? He doesn't come in where he's not welcome. He honors the power that he gave us when he gave us the power of free choice. When he gave us the power to choose, he honors that. But God may allow many things in our life to happen to try to get our attention and try to get us to invite him in, but he will not break the door down. If you reject God into your life, he'll honor that. That's why it's important that we need to go to the process. That's why we need to take the first step. Well, let me say the second step. He's already taken the first step because he's already made himself available. Now our responsibility is to invite him in because he's not going to come in unless you say come in, right? The second reason is the enemy is strongest when he can isolate us and keep us separated from God and from other Christian people. The enemy's goal is to keep you alone, to make you feel like you're all alone in your misery, to make you feel that there's nobody else that understands your situation. Nobody can understand what you're going through, and you're the only one that's having this particular temptation or this particular battle. That's why he makes us guilty, feel guilty for, for thinking things and for giving us crazy ideas that are untrue or worse yet, partial truths that we have a hard time trying to figure out is it really true or not. He's very good at his deception, very good at his lying to you and to me. And so the third thing we need to do is we need to invite God into our thoughts and to do that it requires a submission of our will to God's will. And it's an act of humility on my part. I must willingly submit my thoughts. That's part of the inviting in process, is that I'm going to invite him in, and I'm willingly going to submit 
And I'm going to break the pride down in my life. The Bible says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So how does the enemy influence our thoughts and bring the battle there? Well, most of the time it's through our imaginations, as we've talked about. Where these imaginations come, and they may come very small, and they may become very, very um, non-intense, but yet we continue to think about them, and it turns into the old proverbial, a molehill turns into a mountain as we continue to dwell on some thoughts, and, and we allow our imaginations to run wild with all the things that might happen, all the ifs. It's these fears that, that come into our minds and through our imaginations that as they begin simply is when we need to take control of them when they're still simple. When they're still in a thought and just an imagination, do not let them become big. Do not let them grow into something that is insurmountable to you. One writer says this about our imaginations. He says, our imaginations are pictures within your mind of thoughts, events, or conversations that are only in the unseen world within you. They are not real. They're not real. The devil offers you corrupted thoughts, hoping you will take the bait and imagine them as possible. These are called vain imaginations. And they can cause a lot of stress and a lot of problems in our life because we give them the power to become real when all they are is a thought and an imagination. They're not real. They have no power over you other than the power that you and I give them. And it's these vain imaginations that can manipulate our mind and, and manipulate the person into believing that something that, that, that they're fearing is much bigger and much insurmountable than it actually is. And I think you know what I'm talking about here. I mean, how many of us know the imagined fears really seldom materialize as we think they are going to? We imagine the response of a person that maybe we've hurt and we're going to go back to them and say we're sorry and we're imagining, oh, they're never going to accept our apology. They're never going to forgive us. And so therefore, I'm going to get rejected again. I'm going to get hurt worse. So therefore, I'm just going to ignore it and let it go away. I'm just going to stick my head in the sand as the, as the ostrich does and think that it's going to just go by me because I'm afraid that they're going to reject me. I'm afraid that it's going to hurt worse. Or I might have an idea to present to a group of people that may be a good idea, but, you know, I'm a little too intimidated because, oh, they're much smarter than I am, and they will never accept my idea, so therefore I'm not going to throw it out on a table because, again, they might reject me. Or they might say it's stupid or silly. And I will say that the fear of rejection is probably the biggest fear in our life that will stop us from doing things for our family, for ourselves, and for God because we're afraid that people are going to look at us and judge us for such a stupid thing that you would think. And can I tell you that it's probably not stupid? It's probably a really good thought, but the enemy is trying to, he's battling you there to keep you in that world of your stupidity. And you're not stupid, people. You're made in the image of God. God loves you, and he's given you those thoughts many times, and he wants you to express them, and he wants you to share them. So many times we're afraid of rejection that we won't witness to, we won't witness to our friends because we're afraid of what they're going to think of us. They're going to afraid, they we're afraid that they're going to call us a, something bad like, oh, a Jesus freak or something silly like that. Well, so what? Let me ask you the question. Who are you more afraid of, man or God? There's going to come a day where you're going to stand before God, right? I, I don't want him to say then you are more afraid of people than afraid of me 
when a person can do nothing to me to really hurt me. There's nothing a person can do to you. If you share your testimony with somebody, if you go out on the limb, and if you share your testimony for them, what are they going to do that's going to hurt you, really? Nothing. But yet, if God gives you this urge to say something, and, and you don't, I would fear God. Let me just say that. I would fear God over fearing men. So it's vain imaginations that develop into these man-made fears that keep us in bondage to our own mind wars. And thus we become isolated from God. We become fearful of man. We're thus ineffective in our Christian life and we get frustrated and we're we're on a roller coaster of, of living a good life and a bad life and good days and bad days and we're always afraid of something else. We're always putting something else because we're afraid of what the consequences are going to be and quite honestly... We're over-imagining a lot of things. And here's the good news. The good news is that we don't have to remain defeated by the enemy. We do not have to let him take that role and be that victor in our lives. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, in our text, it says, we demolish, we demolish the arguments and every pretension. A pretension is a forethought. Anything that would set itself up against God, anything that would say that's bigger than God, we demolish that. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The enemy is a lying, stealing thief. And he is a liar, and he gives us all kinds of evil thoughts and and crazy thoughts, thoughts that would give us vain imaginations and that they're going against the word of God, and we just need to know where we stand against it. And as we stand against it, we can take these thoughts captive. So we are to do it this way. And so when we invite God in, what we're saying is, God, come into my life. Come into my thought and invite God to be the judge of our thoughts or the umpire of our thoughts. In other words, to to say, is that a good thought or is that a bad thought? Is that something I need to take obedience and take it captive to it or can I let it become more in my life? We need to recognize that God wants to be that umpire in our heart and in our life. And we need to then take these thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. Now, the word obedient, I think, can be taken wrongly here. When, what, what comes to your mind? If somebody says you need to be obedient, what comes to your mind when you hear the word obedient? Tell me. What? Listen? Does something rise up within you to say, no, I don't want to be obedient? Do you have, do you have that, that thing within you that rises up and says, well, why do I have to be obedient to you? Who are you that I have to be obedient to? I, I think that we have a problem, and I would, say that if, I would say many, if not most, have a problem when we hear the word obedient to someone or something as a negative thing, and it's perceived as negative. It's, it, it's because it has a negative connotation. It says that I have to do something that I don't want to do in order to be obedient. And it's that immediate thought or feeling that I have, even if it's for my own benefit, that I would fight against being obedient. And I would say today, let's change that perception. And let's make it something that we want to do. Obedience is not a bad word. Making your life obedient to Christ is not a negative thing. Recognize that if you feel that way, that's not the Holy Spirit whispering in your life. That's the devil telling you a lie. So let's recognize that if you have a negative feeling about the word obedient, 
recognize who its source is. To be obedient, can I suggest that the human will must be broken? It's hard to humble ourselves sometimes. No matter what your temperament is as a person, you want to be in control. I want to be in control. Some people are more control freaks than others, but we all want to be in control of our lives. Nobody wants to think that I have to be under somebody else's control. Even if, even if it's for my benefit to be under someone else's control, we want to say, no, I have a better way. What makes you think your way's better? <laughs> what makes you think just because you want to be in control that you know how to be in control? <laughs> See, that's just our human flesh. We don't like to humble ourselves. We don't like to bring ourselves under somebody else's authority, even if it's better for us. And can I say it's time to put those vain imaginations away? It's time to put those down and say, God, no, stop me, help me here. That if I know something's better for me, help me to learn how to be obedient to that. And let's make obedience a good thing in our life. Let's make obedience something that we want in our life, not something that we're to run away from it. So if we're, if we're seeing the need now to bring our thoughts to God and to make him obedient, how do we do this? How do we do this? First, by inviting God into every thought that enters into your mind, whether it's good or bad. This is the process that I'm going to encourage you to walk down when you have thoughts come into your mind all the time. Every time, every time you have a thought come in your mind, go through the mental evaluation and say, God, where is this thought coming from? Whether it's good or bad. If it's a good thought, God will build on it. And he'll, he will embellish it. And he will make it very known to you that it's worth putting action to. Okay? As you're inviting God into your thoughts and saying, God, is this a good thought? If it is, what do I do with it? He'll give you more good thoughts that you can build upon. If it's a bad thought, he will help you reject it. And he will help you get it out of your life so that you don't let it sink into your spirit and grow and become bigger than what it should. You understand what this is doing? That when we take every thought captive and we're making it obedient to Christ, that we're going through a mental exercise, that we're saying, God, I have this thought, what does it mean? And where is it taking me? And is it something that I should dwell on or is it something that I should reject? When I have that process of thinking, it will help guard my mind against the enemy's lies and deception. Because the enemy can't work well when he's not invited, but God is. If God's invited in, the enemy won't stay there long because he's not very compatible with God. He doesn't like to be in God's presence. So if you're bringing God's presence into your mind with every thought, whether good or bad, the enemy is not going to stick around long because he, he's not welcome. And this is what we're really doing. This is really what's cool about this, is that we are actually living out Scripture when it tells us to pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. Now, we've read this before, and maybe you look at it and say, oh, I can't do that. That's a silly thing to say. I can't pray without ceasing. Well, let me tell you how you can pray without ceasing. By taking every thought captive 
In inviting God into every thought, you are indeed communicating with God. And prayer, breaking down to its most basic elements, is communication. That you are communicating with God. So when you're learning how to take every thought captive, you are indeed praying without ceasing. Because you're communicating with God. And so as I pray this way, and as I keep him, act, and when I'm actively inviting him into my every thought, I am actually praying that way, and I am intentionally asking God to be the filter of my thoughts, to be the filter of what goes in and what comes out, that he filters what I'm thinking about, he filters what I'm, I'm dwelling upon, and he's filtering what comes out of my mouth. Think about that. How many times in our anger have you blurted things out of your mouth? How many times have you just said things and you think, ooh, where'd that come from? Well, it's because you weren't inviting God into your heart. Now, we say things and we make mistakes. <laughs> In fact, I did it last night. I was, I'm kind of coming down with a little cold, right? And uh, when I have a cold, I don't sleep well at night and I have, I have a tendency to snore a little bit. And, and uh, last night, I, was, I got to sleep pretty quick because I took some NyQuil and I guess I was snoring. And my wife hit me and said, wake up, you know, whatever. And I got mad because I don't want to get woke up. And so rather than rolling over and say, I'm sorry, no, I, I, I kind of overreacted. I said, okay, fine, I'll go sleep in another room then. And I did, and I'm sure she slept better. And I probably slept better too because I wasn't getting hit all the time. So, so there, I mean, if, if, if I would have been doing what I'm preaching about right now, I would have filtered that to my day, night-quilled mind, <laughs> And said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But, you know, I, I overreacted and I blurted out a little bit. And I'm sorry that I blurted out. So here it, is, here it is. When we bring God into our minds and when we bring him into our thoughts, this is what the psalmist says. Psalms chapter 1, the first few verses of Psalms. I love this passage. And I'm, this is in a Living Bible translation. I've memorized it in the NIV, but the, the Living Bible gives us a, a little different perspective. It says, oh, the joys of those who do not follow evil men's advice, who do not hang around with sinners, scoffing at the things of God, but they delight in doing everything. That's obedience, but they delight in doing everything God wants them to. And day and night are always meditating on his laws and thinking about ways to follow him more closely. Did, did you see that? How that is that is exactly what we're talking about, taking every thought captive and how we are delighting in God's commands, delighting in everything he wants us to do day and night. We're always meditating on his laws and thinking about ways to please God. And then he says, they are like trees along a riverbank bearing luscious fruit each season without fail. Their leaves shall never wither and all they do shall prosper. Now, that's prospering in the way God measures prosperity. I want you to tell you that right now. That's not measuring prosperity the way men pro measure prosperity because I know a lot of people that do this and they're not prospering financially like the, some other people that are prospering financially in this world. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Don't confuse this with prosperity preaching. This is prospering the way God measures prosperity, and that's in the soul. That's in the heart. That's where peace is that passes all understanding. That's when the battles come and I can give them to God in my heart and mind and I know I have peace. That's prospering. I love that. That's the way David, the psalmist, began the book of Psalms. He's recognizing the power of inviting God into his mind and in his meditation all the time. 
and understanding that when he does it all the time, God will be faithful in guarding his heart and protecting him from the enemy. I want that. Do you? That's what I want. Now he goes on to say, he says, but for sinners, what a different story. They blow away like chaff before the wind. They are not safe on judgment day. They shall not stand among the godly. For the Lord watches over all the plans and the paths of godly men, but the paths of godless men leads to doom. Wow. It's a choice. It's a very obvious choice. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? So what are some of the steps? Let's review these. When the thoughts come into your mind, analyze them right away. Analyze them. Where are they taking you and where are they from, right? Where are they leading you? Are they leading you to the temporary things of this life or are they leading you to the eternal things that God has in store for us? Now, I'm not saying this to say that the temporary things aren't important. They are important. Living in the day is important. But we have to keep our agenda in clear in our mind. The daily events that are happening in me, in my days, am I focusing on what they're going to do temporarily for me? Am I looking for the temporary blessings that, this, that, that my actions would, would do in this moment? Or am I able to look at those things as a way to say, Lord, are they leading me to eternal rewards or eternal consequences? So as I look at the temporary things in life, that's important for us to recognize where are they at, what are they, t- what are they doing, and where are they taking me? That is an, a major element in how we take thoughts captive how we take them captive, making sure that we're not allowing the short-term thoughts to rule over the long-term consequences. Let me say that again. We're making sure that we're not allowing the short-term thoughts to rule over the long-term consequences. Because we all have temptations that we want to do in the short term that give me pleasure today. But I know they're sinful. And I know because of the sinful things that I'm doing, if I don't make those right, they're going to lead me to damnation for my soul eternally. How bad do you want to win? I mean, how bad do you want to have this short-term gratification, that party, that whatever you call it? I don't, you know, you know what it is. I'm not going to name out the sins. You know what you're struggling with. I don't know if it's an outside thing or if it's an inside thing, but how long are you going to allow the short-term benefits to rule over your long-term consequences? Wow. I tell you, that's big. My, My Bible commentary says this. It says, firmly focus your mind, your thoughts, desires, and strategies on Christ and eternal things, rather than on earthly and temporary things. Remember that the mind controlled by the Spirit is characterized by life and peace. The mind controlled by the Spirit is characterized by life and peace. So fill your mind with, with thoughts of God and with His Word and with those things that are noble, excellent, and praiseworthy. You know, this all sounds good and easy to do on Sunday morning. But what about the hard times? What about the times when you're in the middle of a temptation? When you're in the middle of a struggle? Well, let me just, while you're saying right now, 
because <laughs> everybody's in this room is listening. You're all sane. You we're all of sound mind. So here's what we need to do first. In the good times, right now, we need to learn how to take thoughts captive in the good times so that when the bad times come, we're, we know what we're doing, that we need to know how to practice this. This is a learned behavior. This is not natural in our flesh. This is a learned behavior as a spiritual man and a spiritual woman that we're learning how to bring our thoughts before God and we're, how we're inviting him in to our life is something that we learn to do. If you wait until the moment of the temptation and you haven't learned it before, it's probably too late. You're probably going to fall because you're not practiced. You're not learned. You haven't exercised the muscles. Like we spoke a few weeks ago, we need to determine our priorities and establish our lines of righteousness in the good times. We need, to, we need to make the lines of our life and to say those barriers that I'm not going to cross those lines no matter what the pressure is, no matter what the temptation is, no matter what people around me are doing, no matter if the crowd's drinking and boozing it up, I'm not going to do that. Or sex or, or, or whatever it is, whatever the issue is in your life, Establish now while you're sane of insane mind to say, you know what, I know it's wrong, I know it's not good for me, so therefore I'm going to establish this line right now and tomorrow or next week or whenever I'm with that group of people or when I'm on the job or whatever, and they start doing that where I normally crossed over the line with them and did it with them, I'm no longer doing it. I'm changing. I'm inviting God into my life and I'm saying, God, change my thoughts change my heart, change my behaviors so that when I, when I see that line in front of me and before I crossed over it and I indulged and I partied and I did everything the world is doing and then I also suffered the consequences of it later. I had the hangovers later. I had the regrets later. I had the, I had the issues later. By me, cross, by me establishing a line right now while I'm sane and saying I'm not crossing that line anymore, I don't have the regrets. I'm living in peace. I'm living in joy. I'm living in happiness. Bad things are still going to happen, but I'm not going to allow them to happen of my free choice anymore. Does that make sense? I hope so. Jackie, as we conclude and we, as we summarize what, we're, we, what we've been talking about here, we are in complete control of our minds. You are the only one that controls your mind. You must realize that. You must understand that without exception, you and I are the only ones that control our thoughts. But just because we have control over them doesn't ease the burden of staying in control. <laughs> Having control does not make it easier sometimes. Having control can make it more difficult because now I know I'm responsible for it. I can't blame the devil. I can't blame my parents. I can't blame a bad upbringing. I can't blame, I don't have any money. I can't blame it on anything else. No, I'm in control and I'm accountable and I'm responsible. And when I see that, now that's the beginning of the victory because I'm taking responsibility for it. We need help in the area of taking our thoughts captive. So God said he will help us. He will help us recognize that God is a gentle father and even though he holds us accountable to our own desires and our own actions, he desires nothing more than the best for me and the best for you. Do you know that? 
Even if you're going through hard times right now, even if you're struggling with some things, even if there's some things happening in your life that aren't fun and are hard, God loves you and he's desiring through these things somehow, some way, that he's going to bring glory to the situation if we will choose to allow him to have victory in our minds. Our last passage, Revelations chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Can you just imagine that? Close your eyes with me, if you will. Imagine you're in your heart. (laughs) Whatever that looks like for you. And there's a knock at the door. And Jesus says, hey, it's me. I'm here. I'm standing outside of your door. And I'm waiting for you to open it up. Because I can't. There's not a knob on the outside of that door. The knob's only on the inside, and you're the one that has to open the door. I'm waiting for you. Will you open the door? Will you open the door of your thought life for me? He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, and I will eat with that person, and I will, and they with me. In other words, I will dwell with you, and it will be good for you because we will dwell together in the land that I give you. So this morning, I just encourage you to open the door of your thoughts. Open the door of your mind every day. Not just Sunday mornings. Tomorrow morning when you get up, when you're tired, get up early. When you're on the job, when you're under pressure, open the door of your mind and say, Father, come in. I invite you to have every thought take it obedient to Christ. And I do so willingly. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name, and I'm thankful, Lord, that you are at the door of my heart and you're knocking, and you are patiently waiting for me to open up the door. So, God, I pray right now as we end this service and as we get ready to go to our homes, that, God, that I pray that we will make this message real, that you will somehow make this message real, that I cannot just walk out and forget it today, that it will dwell with me throughout this week. God, I bind the enemy. I bind the enemy that would work in our minds. And I just ask, Father, that you would have complete dominion and authority in our hearts and our minds. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this morning, as we sing this last song that Jackie's playing, I just invite you, I'm going to leave the altars open this morning. If you need help dwelling on this issue, if you need help learning how to take control of your thoughts and your minds. I want to pray with you, and I want to ask the Lord that he will help you with that. So as we sing this morning, the altars are open. Amen. Jackie, Tom.
Father, we just commit our hearts and lives to you now in Jesus' name that truly the things of this world that are enticing us would grow dim, that their temptation would be less and less as we continue to focus on you more and more, as we truly turn our eyes on Christ and we invite you into our hearts, meaning that we're inviting you into our minds and that we are truly taking a step every day to get closer to you closer to you, inviting your presence in my life so that when I have the thoughts that may not be good, they may be temptations, that I know that you're there with me and I know that you're feeling a temptation with me and I know that I need to turn away from it. It gives me strength to turn away from the things that before I just wanted to do and I just did them willingly. God, help us to change us, to loosen the grip of the world and the temptations that it pulls on us, that we truly would see the long-term benefit of being in eternity in your glory and in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.